welcome to ICANN, a podcast about ophthalmology through a uniquely Canadian lens with Dr. Cedare Ziai and myself, Dr. Guillermo Rocha. The ICANN podcast has been made possible by support from MD Financial Management and Scotiabank, proud financial partners of the Canadian Ophthalmological Society and Canada's ophthalmologists. We'll share our experiences as ophthalmologists today and tackle some of the challenges we face as healthcare providers. Are you ready, Cedare? Let's do it, Guillermo. Let's do it, Cedare. On this episode of the ICANN podcast, we have Lauren Breacher. Lauren is a lawyer with Eamon Harden in Ottawa. She represents and advises employers on all matters relating to workplace law. Hi, my name is Lauren Breacher. I'm a lawyer with Ema Harden in Ottawa. I um, represent and advise employers on all matters relating to workplace law. I uh, have been working with Ema Harden since um, 2018, since moving to Ottawa, and uh, I've been focusing on labor and employment law since 2014. Well, hi, Lauren. It's great to meet you, and welcome to the ICANN podcast. You know, I guess we're, we're constantly trying to find that balance of how, how do we protect our staff? How do we keep our, our clinics going, especially in the, the private uh, uh, facilities or, or our clinician-owned facilities? And then also, how do we maintain our responsibility towards our patient with a, with a healthy and safe environment and to our community? So are, are there any specific things we should be thinking about to help us figure out where that balance lies in our workplace? Lauren? Yeah, so I mean, you're going to to want to look at us at certain key factors, um, like the local COVID conditions. So for example, if your workplace is situated in a rural area, uh, with less COVID spread, you're gonna have a different uh, set of facts than a business that operates in a busy urban area where COVID spread is a significant health risk. Right. Um, similarly, if uh, a large proportion of the population is vaccinated in your region or not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to look at those sort of region-specific considerations. And then you also have to be looking at your regional directives or any um, industry-related directives and public health recommendations that apply to you. And oftentimes these two factors will dovetail so that in regions that have been very hard hit by COVID, um, they tend to have stronger recommendations around um, the requirements from employers to, uh, in this case, um, implement mandatory vaccination policies, Um, but there could be other types of recommendations on protocols that employers may have to adopt. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And in Ontario, at least, there is a regulation that does require employers to comply with uh, public health health recommendations on uh, mandatory vaccine policies. So so here where, you know, for example, in Ottawa or in, in Halton or Hamilton, there have been recommendations to have mandatory vaccination policies. Mm. Those recommendations become requirements by virtue of that regulation. And so in that case, um, employers 
don't really have a choice in terms of Mm -hmm. whether or not they're going to have a policy. Um, But in other contexts, employers, you know, it is going to be more of a choice um, and and sort of how far they want to lean into the trend of of mandatory vaccination policies. Mm -hmm. Uh, But even in the case of employers who are subject to strict directives or requirements to have policies, um, those employers are still having to grapple with the content of the policy. Um, and, and that's something that all employers, um, you know, whether you're subject to a directive or not, will mm-hmm. have to grapple with. And, and that's really one area where working with employment law counsel closely can help. Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, many of us, we had to, to um, start working very closely with um, employment law counsel during the early days of the pandemic. And, and it seems that now we will have to do the same uh, when we're looking at these policies. So what's the risk associated with not having a mandatory vaccination policy weighed against the risk of having one, Lauren? Well, Guillermo, that's really the question, right? Uh, It's the question that all employers are going to be having to ask themselves. And it's going to be a matter of carrying out a risk assessment, taking into account all relevant factors for your workplace. Uh So, for example, if there is a strong recommendation from public health um, that applies to your region or to your industry uh, to have a policy uh, regarding mandatory vaccination and, and you don't have a policy, uh-huh. uh, that's, of course, going to leave you exposed to liability. But on the other hand, if COVID spread in your community is low and transmission risk in your workplace is low um, and there aren't any strict directives or, or strong rem- recommendations that apply to you to have a strict vaccination policy, then you may actually be taking a greater legal risk by taking a hard line on mandatory vaccination. So it really is very fact-specific. Okay, okay. Um, And and if we were to consider in our offices a mandatory vaccination policy, how would we want to go about developing it, implementing it uh, with our staff in our office? I mean, this is all very new to all of us who are just used to practicing medicine, basically. Yeah, of course. Um, So as I mentioned, um, some of the individual rights that you're balancing here um, are are privacy rights. So from that perspective, you should be asking individuals to to provide you with the least amount of information necessary to allow you to meet your legitimate health and safety goals. Mm -hmm. So um, under a mandatory vaccination policy, you'll of course have to confirm whether the individual is vaccinated or not. Um, And you'll probably want to confirm what type of vaccine they've received. So, you know, is it Health Canada approved? Is it one or two dose? Um, You know, when's the date of their last shot, if it's a a two dose regime? And and if you're keeping copies of proof, you'll want to redact any information that isn't strictly necessary, like somebody's health number. Uh And, um, you know, You'll want to tell your employees in very clear, plain terms uh, what information you need from them, why you need it, who's going to have access to that information, how long you're going to keep it for, um, you know, no longer than necessary to sort of comply with the law and, and, and ensure safety and that kind of thing. 
and that you'll take measures to protect it and, and ultimately destroy it when it's no longer necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might see um, at some po- at some point employees argue that yes, they gave you this in- information, but they didn't do so on a voluntary basis because you know if they didn't give you the information, they would have been disciplined or fired or that kind of thing. Um, so so you might want to to include within your policy um, or, or within your request to, for information to employees, some sort of request for an, an acknowledgement uh-huh. um, that they did have an opportunity to seek medical advice, uh, that they understand that they can refuse vaccination or seek a medical exemption if necessary, um, but perhaps subject to certain reasonable employment consequences. And, and what those consequences will or should be will, again, be very context-specific. I can wants to know what you think. Please send your comments on today's episode or any suggestions you may have for topics or features to communications at cos-sco.ca. And we'll try to incorporate them into future episodes. Hey everyone, it's Ike Ahmed from University of Toronto and Prism Institute, and I listen to the ICANN podcast. So Lauren, now the the deeper we get into this, the more complex it gets, and uh, this is new territory for, for many of us. So let's say we've decided on establishing a vaccination policy at our offices, and then someone, one of our employees, chooses not to follow it. What options do we have? What are the consequences? What is the risk associated with termination due to breach? That's a great question, Guillermo. Um, Now, here, the first thing that you are going to have to explore is the reason for the refusal to be vaccinated. If the Uh reason is supported by a human rights code protected ground, like disability or religion, that is one thing, and the consequence will generally have to be non-disciplinary. Um, okay. But if it's a personal choice, that's a different story. Um, but that said, um, even where uh, it's a personal choice, an employer shouldn't assume that termination of employment is always the best response to a refusal. Um, And and particularly because refusal to vaccinate may not constitute just cause for termination in all cases. Um, And if you'll recall our discussion about union versus non-union employers, Uh um, in the unionized environment, um, in most cases, you you do need just cause to terminate an individual's employment. Um, And so if you don't have it, um, then the employer may have no option but to keep the individual employed. Okay. Now, in the the non-union environment, an employer may be able to terminate um, an employee who refuses to vaccinate, um, but the cost of doing so might be prohibitive, um, particularly if there's there are many employees who who are refusing to vaccinate. Because uh-huh. in most cases, the employer is going to be on the hook for paying out all the normal termination and severance costs to the employee, uh, unless they could otherwise establish just cause for termination. 
Okay. Um, so, um, you know, that said, there's also lots of other potential options short of termination. Um, and employers should consider if any of those options would work um, for them from a health and safety and from an operational perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing we are seeing in, um, in, in more and more policies and, and directives and recommendations is, is um, requiring employees who aren't vaccinated to attend vaccination education courses. And so that kind of thing, uh-huh. combined with other options like um, requiring those who aren't vaccinated to submit to regular rapid testing or uh, implementing or continuing to implement really strict distancing protocols in your workplace, um, you know, allowing people to take a leave of absence to consider their options, that kind of thing. Uh, the, uh-huh. these, these things in, in combination with education may be better options a better option than just jumping to terminate as the automatic response. Because, uh-huh. um, you know, just as employers are being faced with, um, with new recommendations and policies on a daily basis, so, so too are employees at work and in their, their home lives these days. Yeah. Um, and so if employees are, are being encouraged and educated so that they can make an informed choice, that's certainly preferable from a human and, and from a legal risk uh, perspective than mm-hmm. just sort of forcing an employee to get vaccinated or, or risk losing their job. I think you raised some very, very important points, and I'd like to hone in on the education portion because we're seeing that is benefiting many of our patients that are uncertain about uh, vaccination and, and simply approaching it from an educational perspective has helped um, lean them more towards receiving the vaccine. Definitely, yeah. So in terms of other incentives, should we be considering, for example, monetary incentives beyond what would happen? I mean, a loss of wages because they have to take time off or they have to do the testing, the rapid antigen testing. Um, should we consider monetary incentives um, for, for to, to sort of get our employees to get vaccinated? Or do we risk setting a precedent if we do? Yeah, I mean, so... Kind of using a carrot or offering a carrot rather than using a stick, and that's one approach, um, and, and it's something to to think about. But but you do have to be careful about precedent setting. And, and the other risk with off- offering incentives is that you can sometimes end up in hot water with employees who who then say they're being treated differently or denied a benefit because of something that's out of con- out of their control. So particularly if there are human rights-based exemptions like disability or religion kind of lurking in the background, uh, that could become an issue for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but one of the things we are recommending to some employers is, is to just start with a softer approach, like just asking your employees to voluntarily disclose their vaccination status. And in some cases, you might find that there's no need to go any further than that. Uh, it might give you, you know, all the information you need about your workplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or in other cases, it, it can just give you a better sense of, of where you're at and, and whether a true company-wide policy is necessary. Or perhaps you just have one or two individuals who are vaccine hesitant and, and you need to just work with them on an individual basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, thank you. That, that makes a lot of sense. 
And then let's say we've done all of that, but then we all of a sudden deal with staff who say that they are medically exempt. So you, you alluded a little bit to some of the exemptions and, uh, and human rights-based exemptions, but now we're talking about the medical exemptions. How do we deal with that, Lauren? Yeah, so so medical exemption actually is a human rights-based exemption. Okay. Um, so disability is protected under human rights legislation. So if somebody has a, a, a legitimate medical reason why they cannot be vaccinated, um, mm-hmm. then yes, that would attract human rights protection. Um, but this is likely to be a pretty narrow group, actually, um, mm-hmm. because... At least in Ontario, there have been many statements from officials that have essentially limited what disabilities will qualify for an exemption. Uh Um, And and doctors have been specifically told not to write a note, unless uh, a medical note, unless there's a true um, contraindication to receiving a vaccine. Uh Uh, But that said, uh, employers do have an obligation to accommodate an individual individual circumstances can differ. So employers have to be willing to consider accommodating substantiated medical exemptions. And that means they have to meaningfully engage with employees who who require human rights-based exemptions, uh, sorry, accommodations. Uh Um, And they have to work with them to try and find solutions that are reasonable and that will not result in, um, in undue hardship for, for the employer. Um, now, what kind of accommodations might be suitable will be highly case specific and health and safety is, is gonna be a huge factor in determining whether or not the accommodation is possible. Um, uh-huh. But some options might be um, remote work. Now that might not be realistic in a clinic setting. Um, Perhaps you could consider, um, you know, use of plexiglass barriers um, or additional PPE or use of PPE in certain speci- uh, specific situations where others may not be required to wear PPE. Um, sometimes uh, if a medical exemption is time limited, the employer could agree to allow the employee a leave of absence uh, until um, they are able to become vaccinated. Uh, and, and another option may be considering um, implementing some sort of regular rapid uh, antigen testing. And, and it is worth noting that uh, those, these rapid tests are, are being provided free of charge by the government to employers. Um, there's an application process for that. Um, so it's, it's an option to consider, but, but of course also bearing in mind that uh, vaccination is certainly the most effective protection against COVID-19. Uh-huh. Well, this is very good good information, especially the rapid antigen testing. I wasn't aware of, of that, so it's good to have that information. Although then we have to weigh, like you mentioned, vaccination is probably the most effective, but then we have to weigh that against how accurate these rapid testing uh, uh, results are, right, as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So is there anything else, Lauren, that, that we should consider as uh, physicians, both working in hospital, in our clinics, sometimes being business owners ourselves? Uh, what else should we take into account? Yeah, so, so one thing to take into account um, in operating your business is uh, the difference between asking 
new versus existing employees to be vaccinated. Um, when you're asking a new hire to, to get a vaccine or, or, or making it a condition of, of their offer of employment, subject to human rights exemptions, um, it's generally going to be less risky than saying to an existing employee that they have to get vaccinated. Um, now, with, with existing employees, you run the risk that some of them may take the position that your policy of requiring vaccines uh, amounts to a constructive dismissal. Hmm. which basically means the employee could resign and, and claim uh, their, their termination entitlements. Um, now, whether oh, the employee would actually win in that kind of scenario, that's a whole other question. Um, mm -hmm. And that, that would depend largely on the workplace, the specifics of the policy, um, really the facts of the scenario. Um, but the, the possibility of, of litigation over that issue is something to anticipate. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, the other point um, that I, I think it's important to bear in mind um, as, as you're trying to operate your business in these, these strange times is uh, to consider that, um, so at least in Ontario, um, workers' compensation benefits um, may be payable if an employee received a vaccine as a compulsory part of their employment and experienced a serious, unexpected adverse reaction to the vaccine. So um, where, work, where employers aren't covered by workers' compensation um, civil liability may be present. Um, so with that in mind, employers should sort of plan that this, this may be a, a possible area of legal liability uh, and, and turn their minds to that um, as something that might come from mandating vaccination. Um, so in that sense, it's, it's important to prepare your litigation budget check your general liability insurance and, and of course proceed very cautiously and and with the assistance of legal counsel before you implement any policies to ensure that the possible risks are outweighed by the legitimate goals of the policy and that you've really done your due diligence to limit your possible legal exposure i mean there's a lot in what you just said wow yeah. <laughs> uh, so on the, it's amazing. I mean, on the one hand, you say, okay, let's implement it. We're convinced this is the right way to go. But if somebody doesn't want it, it, it could amount to a constructive dismissal, in which case that triggers a, a, a certain legal aspects. But on the other, if they say, okay, I will do it, and then they get a, a side effect from the vaccine or some injury, then you're also uh, liable in in a different way, right? So, it's uh, it's probably not as as common, right? All of these things, but but they're things to consider, certainly. Sure. And, and there are, are potential ways of limiting those potential exposures. Mm -hmm. um, like at the be beginning of our interview, I mentioned um, that it may be a good idea to get employees to sign an acknowledgement that you know they they were. Um, allowed to receive medical advice uh they didn't exactly. have to get a vaccine that kind of thing to to sort of offset some of that potential risk from the employer um, mm -hmm. and certainly if you do have um workers compensation coverage um you know that that may help at least on, on that point 
Um, but again, you have to be mindful that your premiums could increase if, if you get claims for that kind of thing, right? So, so it's a real uh, thorny area to, to try and work through as an employer with lots of different issues on every side. Yeah, really. And, and, and I think I have one last question, which also may trigger a lot of discussion because we're not an, usually in isolated offices where maybe there's the same three people working in an environment, answering phone calls, having maybe one person an hour coming through. We have a lot of variables, patients coming in and going, staff coming and going, testing, moving people between different rooms. And if you start adding factors, staff, which may or may not be vaccinated, patients who may or may not be vaccinated, what are, what are the potential implications from the patient uh, perspective in that, in that regard? Yeah, so certainly because you have that added factor of, of patients coming in and out of the office, you're working in close proximity with them, um, you may not know whether they're vaccinated or not. And in some cases, regardless of their vaccination status, you, you may be required to provide services to them. Um, and, you know, so in, in that context, there may be a greater uh, argument for, for having a mandatory vaccination policy in your workplace. Uh -huh. um, but again, the risk analysis really has to be done on a case-by-case -case basis and, and with the advice of legal counsel, because every office will, you know, have some slight variations and, and every region as well, um, specific considerations that you'll want to bear in mind in preparing any policy that you decide to go ahead with. Yeah, no, I think, I think one of the things that comes to mind is the fact that we've, we have never sort of uh, discuss these issues in the setting of other types of vaccines. But, but in this particular case, this has become a big issue with a lot of implications. Mm -hmm. But I, I would encourage our, our uh, listeners to listen to this podcast uh, again. I, I know I will because you gave so incredible pearls of information almost in every sentence that you, that you uh, delivered, Lauren. So I think we should listen to it several times as we move forward and try to kind of uh, follow public guidelines, but also maintain our businesses and uh, make sure that uh, from the legal perspective that we're doing a good job as well in addressing um, our, our workplace and, um, and our staff as well. So I would like to thank you, Lauren, for uh, your uh, participation today for this interview. I don't know if you have any, any closing words on what you said, any one last bit of advice for us as, as clinicians as we navigate this new area. I think, you know, just have patience because the, the law is changing and, you know, you might find that what works one day doesn't work the next. So, um, Certainly with these policies, you have to be prepared to pivot and, uh -huh. um, and, and sort of, um, you know, be open to the fact that they may evolve over time. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Lauren. Great having and you on the so podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Wow, I really enjoyed listening to that interview, Guillermo. Thank you. And thank you to Lauren. Here's what's coming up on our next episode. Hi, my name is Michael Nguyen. I'm a fourth year ophthalmology resident at the University of Toronto, 
I'm currently serving as the president for the Council of Canadian Ophthalmology Residents, and I'm very excited to be on the ICANN podcast. I think right now, at least in this modern era, it's probably the best and worst time to be a resident uh, at this very moment. ICANN wants to know what you think. Please send your comments on today's episode or any suggestions you may have for topics or features to communications at cos-sco.ca and we'll try to incorporate them into future episodes. The ICANN podcast has been made possible by support from MD Financial Management and Scotiabank proud financial partners of the Canadian Ophthalmological Society and Canada's ophthalmologists. Thank you to the Canadian Ophthalmological Society. The ICANN podcast is written and directed by Eric Johnson and produced by John Allaire from Allaire Strategic Works.